Amen, everybody. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. Can we do that? Thank God. Now, what you probably don't know is that uh, Kesa is part of our church. Her dad was one of our elders of our church for many years. Mark Zolo is my best friend in the whole world. I love him with all my heart. And to see our kids part of this today, it's really, really exciting. So what we do is this, in case you don't know, uh, what we do is that we always, on the third, sun, uh, third, third Sunday of the month, we always do a missions emphasis. In other words, one of the things that we want here at Word of Life, we don't want to ever forget that there are people all over the world. It's not just about what's happening right here in central New York. It's about a whole world. And there's people all over the world. And there are people even like, like Kesa and Scotty who have got a call from God to go other than staying in the, and I'm going to say the comfort zones of America and go wherever they, that God would lead them. And that's said over and over, not just with the assemblies of God, not just, but there are so many that do that. So what we're going to do, what we do today with all of this, we want to give you an opportunity to, to give uh, an offering, part of your offering to, uh, to missions today. So we would ask you to do that, of course, out there at those little black boxes. If you, if you want to use that, you can put on their missions. If you don't put it for missions, then we're going to put it in our regular offering. And I prefer it to be with, with uh, you know, the missions emphasis. So uh, before, we, before we conclude this, let me just pray for all of our missionaries. God, we're just so grateful. We're just so grateful for the men and women who not only in this recent decade, but in all the years since Jesus had died on that cross, that there has always been a people who would go to different parts of our world to win those who are far from God. So I pray, Father God, that you will just move on our missionaries, the ones that we support. We're, We're praying, Lord, for this offering, Lord, to be sufficient for the needs that they have. And we're asking God that you will give them great favor, great favor with the countries, with the governments that they're working through throughout our world. And we pray your blessing on all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Before I get into the word, I, wanna, I just want to do one more thing. As many of you know, one of my favorite scriptures, especially during the time of election, is, is um, 2 Chronicles 7.14. And the Bible says this, most of you know this. He says that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, he says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's one of our staple verses when dealing with our nation, dealing with prayer for our nation. And God is calling all of us to humble ourselves and to seek after God and to pray, to pray. We are 16 days out before our election, just 16 short days between now and our election. And prayer still moves the heart of God. Prayer still moves the heart of God. America, as we have known it, has been, uh, has, has been in, a, uh, in more trouble right now than she has been ever, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I'm asking all of you, all of you who attend Word of Life Church, I'm asking all of you to be, who are part of our church to pray and to, to fast, to pray and to fast, I'll say it one more time, to pray and to fast for our nation. Because that's what God says. If we would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, if we would fast and cry out to God, if we would do that over these next 16 days, I'm trusting that God is going to bless that. Now listen, I'm not a legalistic kind of guy when it comes to fasting. We all have different ways of fasting. We see within the word of God, different people fasted different ways. And so when I say fasting to my church, I'm not saying you've got to do it the way that Jesus did did it and he didn't eat for, you know, how long, 40 days. Um, 
so it's, it's how you sense that you need to do this. So over these next uh, 16 days, I'm going to ask you to pray and to fast something. Something. Let it be something that is a cry out to God that I'm praying and I'm fasting for our nation. And uh, as a follower of God's word, I believe that every person, every, <clears throat> every responsible citizen should cast their vote for the candidates who best represent your Christian values and your morals. I'm asking you to do that today, however it may be for you. I've got my thoughts, I've got my morals, I've got my convictions, and you have yours. And you need to vote. I'm asking you again to please vote. That's our part, and the rest is up to the Lord. That's our part that we're going to do, and the rest is up to the Lord. So, it's time, church, that you and I become the salt and the light of the world in the United States of America. Come on, somebody, give me an amen. Give me an amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Come on, you can do better than that. Good morning, everybody. It is just incredible to see all of you. And I know that there's many who are not here, but there's many who are our our church family online who are out there with us as well. I am just so thrilled, so thrilled that all of you are here. Our online church family uh, who is with us today as well as our own regular attenders here at Word of Life, young and old alike. I am thrilled. I really am. This is exciting. This is an exciting day, and we're excited about the fact that you're here with us. Um, If this is your first time at Word of Life, we want to welcome you, and we want to say thank you for coming. It really means a lot to us when you come to church, and for those of you online, thank you for being online with us. That means an awful lot uh, as well. But if this is your first time, I want to say thank you for all of that. And if you're not sure about the Bible, if you're not sure about God, or if you're not sure about worship, or, or you're not sure about uh, the church, I, I want to just offer you two things as we begin the service, th- this message. I want you to, first and foremost, I want you to feel uh, that you can just relax today. I'm going to make an opportunity for you to be able to participate in whatever way you would want. You don't have to participate if you're visiting. If you're not comfortable participating yet, you don't have to. But if you would like to, I would, I would love to do that. But another thing I'm going to ask you to do, if you wouldn't mind, is that if you have a prayer request, if there's something going on, if you would push that button uh, for prayer, uh, there's going to be people who want to pray with you. There's going to be people who want to help you through whatever it is that you're going through. So we just want you to feel free to do that. Again, I am so grateful. Thank, thank you for coming to Word of Life Church today and being with every one of us. Today's message series is uh, Believer, Be Encouraged. Believer, Be Encouraged. This is week five of the series. Pastor Tom and myself have been going back and forth with who's doing what, when, and so uh, today is the final uh, part of this series, and the message today, the emphasis of today is all in, all in. So in this series, we have talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about the end of time what that looks like, the end of days, what that looks like. And each week that I got up to speak, I would say the same thing over and over again in the beginning, and that is that I made it clear, I trust, that I do believe, I do believe that we are at the beginning of the end of days. I really believe that. I really believe by the signs that are taking place, the signs that are happening, the things that we know that God said, these are signs of the last day. I do believe that we are at the beginning of the end of days. Now, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, uh, that this world is going to end uh, this week or this month or this next year. We don't, we don't know that because the Scripture tells us. No one knows. Nobody knows when 
and, and when that time is going to be. In fact, even Jesus himself doesn't know. The scriptures are specific. It says, it says that only the Father is the one who knows when the end is going to come. So I want to highlight just a couple of things that we talked about in the series. This is just the two-minute thing I want to do with you. In Matthew 24, it's not in your notes, but in Matthew 24, we, we talked about this, that as, as, we, as we neared to the end of days, uh, one of the signs, as we, as we move toward the end of the days, one of the signs is, is that there will be an increase of wickedness. There's going to be an increase of wicked, wickedness as we've never seen. Because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, both for the believer and the unbeliever. Now, I want that to settle in you in just for a moment here. I want you to realize that we who are followers of Christ today, right now, I mean, it's bad, it's tough, but it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get a lot worse. And the Bible tells us that those of us who, who, are, who are followers of God, even those of us who are followers and lovers of God, there's going to be a time because of the wickedness and because of the, the vile, there's going to be a time that we, uh, we will turn, uh, all of that will turn to hatred. All of the love that people have for people, for even God, it's going to turn toward anger and, and murder and, and increase of things. It's, it's, it's crazy what the Bible tells us. It's a sign that the, the Word of God tells us that we can see we're moving toward the end. Their love for God, their love for others uh, is, is just going to turn into hatred. And there's a whole lot more than what I've just said. There's a whole lot more. And the Apostle Paul says to us that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. We're not going to be doing a Debbie Downer kind of message today. We're not, that's as far as I'm going with the end times. And the fact is, is that he did say, uh, Paul did say that in the last days, perilous times are going to come. In other words, it's going to be dangerous. It's going to be risky. It's going to be imminent. And, and it's going to be unsafe and unhealthy for us, those of us who are in this world at this time when the end comes. I feel led by the Holy Spirit to conclude this five-week series that we've been doing with a different emphasis than what I originally wanted to do. And the emphasis that I want today is that we, the church, we, the church, will seek to pursue integrity. We will seek to pursue integrity in our final days. Now, I know I just read to you in the scriptures that the love of many is going to grow cold, and we're going to turn away from God. We're going to, we're going to turn away from the, the, the will and the plan of God in our lives. But the Bible tells us, the Bible also tells us that we have an opportunity in our final days. I want to prove that to you today, that we, the church, will seek to pursue integrity in our final days. Now, I believe, I believe that hardwired in the heart and soul of every man and woman of God that is resident in God himself is a deep desire, a deep desire to stand for what is right and what is true and what is pure and what is just with, all, uh, with, with a willingness to fight, a willingness to fight, to fight for what is right and to fight to win, even if it means it costs you your life. There has to be this kind of an approach. That's the heart of a warrior. In fact, that's the heart of God himself that he possesses. A hero is somebody who, who has clarity and is compelled to act. They have clarity and they are compelled to act. Maybe to act physically or to act morally or to act maybe financially or relationally or spiritually. There's many ways that we can, we can act. We can act. Do I have any heroes in the room today? Any heroes here? Any heroes? Yeah, yeah, no? I, I, I will share I'm a hero. 
I, I had a little bit of an event a number of years ago, a lot of years ago, in fact. Um, I just show this quick story. I've shared it before, but I'll share it really quick. And that is, uh, I was the youth camp director for the Assemblies of God uh, back in, in, in uh, 19, I'm going to say 84, 85, somewhere in those years. And uh, as the camp director, I was also the youth pastor here at Word of Life Church. It was then called uh, Baldensville Assembly of God. I was the youth pastor here for a number of years. But anyhow, uh, as a camp director, I remember going down by the lake. There's, there's a couple, 300 kids that were there. And this one little girl came running past me. I don't know how old she was, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't know. But she came running past me and I watched her and she ran and she went down in the water. And when she went down in the water, I just began to watch her a little bit more and Wait a minute, that's, that's, not, that's a long time. And so I just took off like a Batman. I mean, I just took off, and I ran to this little girl, and I finally found her. I find, found her under the water, pulled her up, ran, ran her to shore. She didn't need any kind of, you know, recovery. Uh, just the fact that I got her out of the water was, was about it. And, uh, and it was really cool. Now, the cool thing about the story is, is her brother. Now, this, this girl, I, I've seen her. I hug her. I kiss her every time I see her. Uh, she's out of New York City. Um, it, you know, we talk a little bit about the story. But her brother is a very, very well-known missionary to China for many, many years. And he also now is in, in uh, New York City. And so uh, it was one of my times, my claim to fame. And, and it was nothing to do with Randy Chiz. I'm telling you, God was in this whole thing. Thing. Come on, give me an amen. God is good. God is good. A real hero, a real hero is a person who, who does the right thing the right way at the right time. A real heel, hero will do the right thing at the, at the right way at the right time. The person that I believe that showed that kind of moral character best, even in the midst of a very vulnerable time of his life, is this guy by the name of David. Most of us know David. David happens to be my favorite Old Testament hero out of all of them. He is my favorite of favorites. And I know, some of you are going to say, but do you know what David did? Yeah, I know what David did. He did a lot of bad, but David did an awful lot of good as well. So he's my, my Old Testament hero. You're not going to talk me out of it. I love the guy, and I love talking about him and his story. History tells us that David had been anointed to be the second king of Israel at this time of the story that I'm giving you right now. That, that uh, David, is, is, uh, David has been anointed to become the second king of Israel. And it's a done deal. He's been anointed by Samuel, the leading prophet. It's a done deal. It's over. It's over with. But the problem is, this moment, particular moment, the problem was, is that Israel already had a king. And his name was Saul, King Saul. He was the one in charge of the nation of Israel. But because of much disobedience and rebellion, God is now removing Saul as king, he's removing him. He's getting him away. He's, Saul is taking him away from being a king. Rumors have it at this time that, that are coming to Saul that David has been anointed by Saul to be the next king. While he's out and about, he gets the news. He gets the news, and Saul loses his mind. If you know anything about the story of Saul, you'll know that he lost his mind many, many times, but he loses his mind at this particular moment. He goes crazy. He's angry. He's in a fit of rage, and he is determined that he's not going to allow Saul, uh, Saul is not going to allow David to, to ever take that crown from him. So Saul is hunting for David. He's looking for David everywhere he can, and what he chooses to do at this time is that the king has some 3,000 elite warriors from different parts of the nation of Israel that were coming 
looking for just one man, looking for just one man. And I don't know about you, but I think it's safe to say that King Saul has some serious anger issues that, that he needs to deal with. Come on, give me an amen. I, I think that, and I think it's a little bit accurate. Well, 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 on the run from Saul, David made some decisions in his life. Now, mind you, he's, he's been anointed, and he knows he's the next king, and he has, he, he's made some decisions. And really, the decisions that he made at this time was really good. And the decision was not to touch the Lord's anointed and not to do the king any harm. He thought that through. I know it was the Spirit of God. I know it's something that God was speaking to him about. Not to touch the Lord's anointed and not to do the king any harm. And in this chapter, while Saul is frantically searching for David, he's wanting to find this guy. He wants to make sure that he doesn't live through this with what's taking place. And he has no clue at this time. He has no clue really where David is. The Bible, God's Word, I say it again to you, the Bible, God's Word, gives us some details of some of, uh, 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 some of, uh, some of you may not believe. It gives us some details of some things that more than likely some of us, maybe, well, I'm sure many of us have heard a little bit of this story, but this is a pretty, pretty amazing story. You, you, just, you just may not believe what it is you, that you're going to hear. Now, of course, we know that, uh, we know that uh, King Saul... We know that he's number one. We know he's the king. He's still the king of Israel. So he is out looking. He's looking for David. And we know that the king, the number one guy, while searching for David, number one has got to go number two. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding you. The Bible tells us this story. I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. But the king, who's number one, he had, number one has to go number two. Literally, it's in the word of God. It's the truth. Actually, I believe it's, it's a perfect setup by God himself for both David and Saul. This is incredible to me. It's incredible. The Bible tells us that the king has to take care of business. He has to take care. This is all in the story. He has to take care of business. And what God does with all of this is incredible. It is so fun and so funny and incredible on so many levels. So I want you to, I want you to get this picture inside of your head. Wait a minute, I, not that picture. I don't want you to see the number one, number two picture. But I want, I want you to see the whole thing that's taking place right here. So listen to me. Number one has to do number two. So Saul stops at a random cave, just a random cave to relieve himself. And you won't believe who's hiding in the back of that cave. You're right. It's David and 400 of his warriors that are with him in the exact same cave that, that King Saul has now walked into so he can go poo-poo. It's just amazing to me. This, this story is unfolding. So listen, all by himself, this is very dangerous, but all by himself, King Saul walks into this random cave to, to begin to disrobe. Now, come on, honestly, honestly, if you were David, if you were one of the 400 warriors that are dealing with this whole thing, I think that they probably sing that chorus, this is the day the Lord has made, I will, I'm a lousy singer, so I don't want to sing that, but you know what I'm talking about. They've got to be excited. David's uh, warriors would say to him, David, God has heard our prayers. You've been anointed the next king. God has delivered Saul into your hands. David, 
what are the chances of this happening? What are the chances of something like this taking place? David, it's got to be God. It's just got to be God. And we know that it's God's will for you, David, to be the next king of Israel. The king has been, has been um, handed to you, David. He's been handed to you on this round silver platter that looks like a toilet seat. No, I'm kidding. The Bible doesn't say that. Randy Church said that. I repent. I'm sorry that I said that. I thought it was funny. <coughs> but anyhow, he says, the king has, has been handed to you, David, on a r- r- uh, round silver platter. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you've got your, your uh, gadgets and gadgets that you can follow along with us, we welcome you to do that today. <coughs> Let me uh, grab a quick sip of water because I got a feeling I'm going to need it. Everybody okay? All of our online church, are you okay? Trusting that you are? Here we go. 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 4. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, now you've heard the story, this is what the scripture says about that. You can see I made some mistakes with some of this. But anyhow, now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel, 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel, from all of Israel. There we go. Got it back down to the right side. <clears throat> he, came to, he came to the sheepfolds, he came to the sheepfolds of, uh, uh, let me do this again. Let me just start from the beginning, please. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. I told you it's in the Bible. And Saul went in to, to relieve himself. And I just lost where that was on my notes. <coughs> Forgive me. And he went in to relieve himself. Then the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you. Behold, I am about to give you your enemy into your hand. And you do, you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut the edge, cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Simply cut the edge of Saul's robe. So David did not kill He did not kill um, Saul. He didn't do that. Even though his men had told him that this is God, strike him down, strike him down. But what David does do, what he did do, is simply cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Maybe it was just the corner, we don't know. But he cut off the edge of Saul's robe. Just so you understand with what's going on with this, is that David David did, um, he could have, uh, and he was encouraged to, to kill the king, to kill King Saul, who was sent by God. But David didn't. David only cut the the piece of the fabric that was on the king's robe. Go with me to verse five of the same chapter. And it says this, in about, uh, it came about afterward that David's conscience, that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So, listen, Cutting the king's robe bothered David. Just cutting his robe 
bothered David. He didn't hurt Saul. He didn't threaten Saul. (coughs) And I love this about him. I just love what we're reading here, what we see within the word of God. Because David is, in my opinion, he's one of a kind. What I love about David is is that he's a powerful warrior, a very powerful warrior, but yet he's a great sensitivity. He's he's very sensitive, a, a, a sensitive kind of guy. So to all of our online family, as well as those who are here at Word of, Church, uh, Word of Life, <clears throat> do you have somebody like that in your life? Do you know of anybody? Do you have a family member, a friend, a grandparent, whoever they may be in your life, male or female, doesn't matter to me. Do you have somebody like that in your life who is strong, who is, who is, is a warrior, someone who does things that are right, but also have a life-giving side of them, that they care for people, they care for others, they care with what may be going on. So David is allowing moral clarity to do the right thing at the right time, the right way. Go with me to 1 Samuel verse 6, 24 verse 6. So David, so, uh, sorry, so he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed, since he is the Lord's anointed is what the scripture declares. It's not just part of you. It's not just part of us. It's not just part of you. But God wants all of you. And David knew that. He knew that. Go with me to, to Psalm 139. My favorite psalm. One of my favorite psalms. Psalm 139. I'm going to do this in the New Living Translation. <clears throat> it's David who wrote this. And it's David who's speaking right now. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know that I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know know everything I do. You know that I am am going to, uh, you know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand uh, of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Pick it up at verse 13 through 17. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was, you watched me as I was being formed in the utter seclusion and, as, and, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. I love verse 16. I have always loved verse 16. You saw me before I was born. Let that sink in. You saw me before I was born. Listen to this. Every day, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. David knew that sensitivity. David understood the depths and the dimension of all of this. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. It's not just part of you. It's not just part of us. But God wants all of you. God wants you to be all in. God wants you to be all in with him. God wants you to be following him and be all in with him. You can trust him. And if you've known God for any real length of time, you've experienced that. You can trust God. I love Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah, through the 
The prophet Jeremiah, God is saying this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you to myself. God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he, would, he literally wants to, to be involved in everything that you do. He wants to be involved in everything that you are. What, what, the, uh, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is to make sure, is to make sure with our integrity. He wants us to have our integrity. With you and I, with our integrity, that we are not to be like David who just would cut corners because cutting corners is never God's plan. Cutting corners is never God's plan. Why are you so quiet today, church? You're scaring me. If I could have one of our people turn our air on in here, it's really hot in this room as far as I'm concerned. So if you would please do that, I would appreciate it, and I think I'll stay alive if if you do that. So what the Holy Spirit does in our lives is to make sure with our integrity that we are not like David, just cutting corners, because cutting corners has never been God's plan for our lives. Integrity, integrity, thank you, integrity is a word of wholeness in all parts of our lives. When we deal with this thing called integrity, we're dealing with something that is in is part of every part of our life. I love 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, and it says these words, everything, ev- in everything, you were enriched in him. In everything, you were enriched in him. In other words, he has given you, he has given you the fullness of life. He has given you everything. The fullness of life is in you and I. And that's what God does. He touches every part of you. He touches every part of us. And David now is getting this 2020 clarity before uh, before his very eyes at the cave with Saul and himself. He is seeing things as he has never seen them before. So David is facing David David is facing this decision of integrity. And he realizes, he realizes that, that God cares. God cares about what David does not only on, in the cave, but also what God, what David would do on the throne. He cares about that. Because really, that's what integrity is all about. That's exactly what integrity is all about. It's the testing ground. It's the testing ground of each and every one of us. Are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you a teenager of integrity? Are you the one that cut, cuts corners? Are you the one that makes sure that you will do exactly what you've been called to do, told to do? The thing that is right. The thing that needs to be done. Are you one of those people who are able to do that? What you do in the cave is, uh, what you do in the cave, what are you doing in the cave when nobody's watching you? These are some of the things that we need to consider today. Because really, that's what integrity is. It's our testing ground. What you do in the cave when nobody is looking, nobody is watching. Uh, what What the Holy Spirit does in our lives with integrity is to make sure that we're not cutting corners. That's his job, making sure we're not cutting corners. By now, some of you are wondering, what does, what does that have to do with me? What, what are you talking about? Maybe from some of our family online are thinking these words. Who are you talking about? What, what is all of this about? What, what, what is cutting corners? What does that mean? What is living on the edge? What does that kind of stuff mean? Well, let me, let me just share a couple of thoughts with that. Because what I'm doing is, is that I'm talking, I'm talking about you. Actually, what I'm doing with all of this is that I'm talking about you and I'm talking about me. I'm talking about the small stuff that you don't think really matters. I'm talking about the small dishonesties that you and I deal with. 
the, the small compromises that you and I find ourselves at often in our walk, in our lives. It's, it's cheating in school. Uh, as a Christ follower, as a Christ follower, for those of you who are not Christ followers, you, you're exempt of what I'm talking about. But for those of us who have received Christ, we're not exempt. These are things that we need to be a part of. Uh, the, those, those kinds of things really matter. It's cheating in school or it's lying on, on your scholarship applications. It's compromising on, on your computer when nobody's at home. It's those kind of things that, that we find ourselves. It, it's, there's no integrity in that. And that's what God wants. He wants the integrity of the believers. It's, it's doing what that's right. The language that you use, the texting that you do, what you post on Facebook sometimes. It's the cheating of, of your taxes. It's cutting corners on the whole of who God wants you to become. All of those things are wrong. And God is saying, not, he's not going to punish you, but what God is saying is, he says, I want you to live in the fullness of what life would offer you. I want to share with you a story that I'm not very proud of, but I, I need to do it. I've done this before, shared this story before, but let me just be very quick with this one. Uh, uh, as a young teenager, I got caught up into pornography. I was really involved with it, really involved with pon- pornography. But on July 5th, 1971, south side of Philadelphia, I gave my life to Jesus. Something happened. And I want to let you know, over a time, over a time of me being involved with that, uh, God helped me and set me free from, from that stuff. Thank God. It was really good. So I ended, up, I ended up in about 1983, 84. I can't remember the exact date right now. But in 1983, 84, I became credentialed with the Assemblies of God, and I became a full-fledged pastor. I became a youth pastor here at Baldensville for seven years. Well, one month away from eight, eight years, I was um, a youth pastor here at Word of Life Church. And, uh, and after I was youth pastor, as many of you know, I ended up being asked to go to West Point to be a chaplain at the West Point, the United States Military Academy. And I did, and I loved it. And there was a lot of good things about that. There was a lot of good things. But one of the bad things that I had was um, Marianne and I didn't have much of an income. We planted a church. We're at West Point, And uh, we really don't know anybody, and there's a lot of challenge with all of that. But the biggest deal that Randy Chiz was dealing with as head of my family was our finances. And we were making, six, uh, we were making $200 a week is what we were making for a family of six. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't good. And so what I decided to do really quick is that I decided to take the postal exam. I passed it, and I was hired, and I began to deliver mail immediately. I got the job, and I began to do that. That was a part-time job, but it was enough that would keep us going with our financial. So uh, while I was doing this, I would deliver mail every single day except for Sundays. I was delivering mail, and uh, I came across the magazine. I came across a mag- magazine that I had never seen before. I didn't know anything about it. But man, I was finding a lot of them. There was a lot of people who were getting this magazine. So I decided to take a look. What is this magazine, by the way? Because they're all closed. I mean, you know, it's all that stuff. And I chose to open it up. So I chose that magazine that was called Victoria's Secret. And that's all I needed. That's all I needed. Because it led me to be tempted to not just go there once, but to go there every day. At that time when I would find somebody who read that magazine, more than likely, I don't know if it was always this way, don't remember it that well, but I remember that I was always deciding to take a look at what I shouldn't look at. What ended up happening was the Spirit of God was moving in me. There was a work of God happening in me because I'm doing wrong. I'm not to, I'm not to be that way. I'm, I do my best never to be that way. Of course, like most of you, not all of you, I trust 
But the fact of the matter is, is that, that uh, I, I began to get really mad at myself. I, be, I came under great condemnation. And not only was I under great con- condemnation, but I began to put it all on my kids, put it on my wife and my kids. I mean, I was a bear. You know, after I got done delivering mail, and I was just so disappointed in myself. And I would have to do a cadet Bible study. I mean, I, I, was, not, I was not in the right place at all. And so, um, finally, I mean, it was bad. It was bad in the Chiz household for a while. And, uh, and finally, I told Marianne the whole story from beginning to end. Told her everything that I was involved with. She knocked me right out. She didn't. I'm just kidding. She should have, but she didn't. I confessed to Marianne, and within two months, within two months of being a postal carrier, I quit the job. I never went back to it, and I have victory over pornography for all these years now. Thank God. Thank God. Now, why are you telling me that story? Is because we all want to have those shortcuts. We all are, instead of going the full, the full gamut of what we should be doing as a man and a woman of God, a teenager of God, we, uh, we, we need to be those people who are going to have the victory in these things and get beyond, beyond those things that are happening in, in our lives, those opportunities set before us. So, this much I know, going back to David. David did two things right. He did two things right in his story today. Number one, he listened. He listened to the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Two things that David did right. He listened to the convictions of the Holy Spirit in his life. In other words, um, in that cave were 400 men, 400 voices that were telling David, kill the king. Do it now. You know, kill the king. It's over for him. But David wouldn't do it. The second thing, the second thing that David did right is that David, David became a hero. He became a hero, and he became a hero to all of the men of King Saul, all of his 3,000 3, elite warriors that he brought. <clears throat> um, they, had heard, uh, they had heard him with their own ear, uh, with their own, they heard, they heard him with their own ears and saw him with their own eyes. David did an extraordinary thing that an average man would never do. David did an extraordinary thing that most men would never do, most women would never do, most teenagers would never do. And that is that he walked the line of being integral. He was walking that line of integrity in his life. That's why it's just so important that you and I fill our heart and mind with what's in this book right here. This is a Bible, a military Bible, but this is a Bible. This is what each and every one of us need to do. Each and every one of us need to go into that book and to see what it has to say for every one of our lives. I want to begin to close off the message today. And as I close it off, I want to share with you a very strange verse. Now, some of you may have heard this before. Some of you may know this, but there's a strange verse that's in the Bible. There's a strange way that God looks at every believer, every one of us, you and me alike, followers of Jesus. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, it says these words. Proverbs 24, verse 16. And it says this, the entire verse says this, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in the time of calamity. Let me say it again, but let me just leave half of that out. For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. When you, when you read that at face value, that just doesn't make sense to me because, because it's got to be a mint, mint print, mint, excuse me, it's got to be a misprint uh, 
it's got to be a wrong interpretation or something because it just doesn't make sense. Let me just do it one more time. For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. I think that it should say an unrighteous person. An unrighteous person falls seven times and is not, and, and is not righteous is what I think that it would say. But I would think that, that if, you're, if you're a righteous person, you'll never fall. I mean, if you're following God really tight, you're doing the best that you can to be the man of integrity that you know that you should be, the woman of integrity, the the teenager of integrity, you're going to do the very best that you can to make sure that you will never fall. But that's not what it's saying. And what's, what's with the seven times? Again, I read it to you. For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. So for the seven times, what, it, what is that about? Does that mean that, that a Christian can only fall seven times in life, and if you do another one, uh-oh, you're in a lot of trouble? Is that what it's talking about? <coughs> no, it's not. It's not that either. That, that phrase, seven times, is found in other places in the Bible. Listen, seven times is not the emphasis. The number seven is not the emphasis. It's not the emphasis. The Hebrew word that we find here to help us to understand this is called ebrazen. Ebrazen. That Hebrew word is a phrase. It's a trait. It's a characteristic of, of the Hebrew language. In other words, seven simply means, seven simply means a lot. A lot. A lot of times somebody has fallen. Maybe you've fallen six times or 12 times or whatever. But we see seven here with this particular scripture. So the writer of Proverbs 24, 16 is not saying, is not saying that a righteous person will only fall seven times. That's not what the scripture is saying. Listen, the written, uh, the written, excuse me, the writer is actually saying a righteous person will only fall, excuse me, a righteous person will fall a bunch of times. A righteous person is going to fall a bunch of times. Did you hear that? What God is expecting of you and me is that we're going to fall. And we're going to fall a bunch of times is what the scripture says. So, my question is to you today is, listen, my hand is up. I want to do a real quick survey about this. The Bible says all of us are going to fall. All of us are dealing with that. So I want to ask those of you who are here, how many of you think that since you came to know Jesus that you have fallen seven times? Seven times. Wow. Wow. Wow, that's good. Well, let me, let me go times two. I can't see those who are our online church family, but the same question is going to you as well. How many of you would say if we went seven times two, that would be 14? So how many of you would say that you have fallen at least 14 times since you've known Jesus? At least 14 different times. Okay. You're being honest and I love it. Well, how about how, about how many of us that would be really honest and to just say the truth of the matter is, Pastor, I've lost the, the many times that I've that I have fallen. I've lost count. I've lost count. Give me, a, give me a wave if that's you. Because both of my hands are up. And I want to tell you today, very honestly and sincerely from my heart, the truth is, not only are we all in this together, but the fact is, is that I have fallen a lot too. You heard one of the stories of my failures, one of, one of the times that I have fallen. But we all have that. We all are a part of that. I fail weekly. I don't know about you, but I mess it up weekly probably multiple times weekly is the truth of all of that. I mess it up as, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. I fall as a pastor and as a friend. 
I fall as a man. <clears throat> you name it. You name it, I've fallen. But on July 5th, 1971, even though I went through that, God has still been able to get me through to the other side. So I thank you for being so honest and sharing with me about those things. Now, most of us as believers never thought that you would find within the Scriptures that failure could determine the righteousness, the righteousness of a man or a woman or a teenager. Let me say it again. Most of us as believers never thought that you would find in the Scriptures that failure, that failure could determine a righteous man, woman, or teenager. But, but we have it in our mind that a righteous person would never fall. A righteous mother or a father or a teenager, none of them would ever fall. We'd never see that happen. But it does. And this blows my mind. According to the Word of God, according to Proverbs 24, 16, let me give you the conclusion of this. Listen. In God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, in God's mind, in God's kingdom, in God's ways for you and I and in our lives, a righteous person is not defined by his falling. A righteous person is not defined by his failing, but by his rising. I want you to think about that. A righteous person is not defined by their falling, but by their rising. I'm trusting that you're beginning to see and understand that this is, this is what determines that you and I are righteous people. It's not by our falling, it's by our rising at that particular time, that situation. So you don't fall and fail and lay on the ground and feel like you're defeated. I've laid on the ground 150 times, thousands of times probably, just said, God, I don't understand why you still use me. I don't understand any of this, God. So for you and I, it's, it's, the fact is, is that we don't fall and lay there defeated and we say it's over. The Bible is clear. There is just something, something on the inside of us. And I know who that something is. And his name is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity is God who lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit, every time we fail, every time we fall, he says, get up. Just get up. Do you know what it was like to share my story with you today? It's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed. Probably Marianne and my kids are embarrassed because of what their father had done. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we get up, that's where God says, that's where life is. That's where you, Randy Chiz, will learn victory. That's where you and I will find what it is that God has for each and every one of our lives. There is still more work that needs to be done, and God is waiting. God is waiting. Others are waiting for you to rise up. Rise up. The Bible is clear. What defines a righteous person is not that a person ever fails, but... It's when you fall or when you fail and you get back up again and you get back into the game and you become everything that God has called you to be. The truth of the matter is God has already forgiven you. Whatever that thing is that you have done, whatever that thing is that you have said, God has already forgiven you. Not on your notes, but it says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my sins from me is what the scripture says, removed it from us. Listen to your pastor. If, you're, if you are in Christ and you're born again and you're a believer, now listen, you are not a failure because you failed. Let me say it again. If you are a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you're born again and you believe in God, you are not a failure because you failed. 
You are not a failure because you failed by what you did years ago, by what someone did to you years ago. You're not a failure, be, failure because you, are, you deeply regret the lifestyle that you ended up living in. God is telling you and I right now, come on, get up, get up. Show your family, show your, fr uh, your friends, show your husband, show your wife that you are getting up. You are not down for the count, but that you are not content with falling, but you will get back up. You and I will get back up. Proverbs 24, 16 lets us know that there are two unchangeable facts that are found in the scriptures. Two unchangeable facts. The first one doesn't sound like good English, but it makes my point. Number one is, we righteous people will blow it. We righteous people will blow it. It comes at us out of nowhere. We've made a decision that we're going to do what's right. We're going to be men and women of integrity, teenagers of integrity. We're going to do everything we can to make sure we're doing it right. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it comes and we blow it. The second thing that I believe that David did right was the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us won't let us be defeated. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of each and every one of us won't let us be defeated. I say to you again in Scripture that's not on your notes, but in 1 John 4, 4, you are from, from God who, has, who, have, uh, overcome the, the, who have overcome them, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, is what the Scripture says. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, in all things, in all things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Through Christ who loves us. I'm going to ask you right now, if you'll stand to your feet, please. Just stand to your feet for a moment. I want to just close this off with prayer. I'd like to have your eyes closed, your heads bowed, please. This is to be a very personal, private moment. For those of us who are online today, I'm asking you to do the same thing. Just maybe, just maybe God would be speaking to you today. <coughs> maybe today while all of this is being taken, you know, the worship, the worship was wonderful today, just amazing. The presence of God in this room has been amazing. The work of God doing a work in our hearts and lives through his word is amazing. It's always amazing to us. But maybe today, you are sensing a tug that you've never really felt before. A tug on the inside of you that, that maybe, just maybe, this is real. This God stuff just might be real. And maybe there's a tug inside of you that just says, give it a shot. Try it. Give your life over to God. Listen, man, lady, I'm not asking you to be a part of Word of Life Church. I'm not saying that you have to attend this church. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that I want you to make a decision for God. I want you to make a decision to see and to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me, kind of thing. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if this is your desire today to make a decision for Jesus, to make a decision for Christ, I just want to lead you in a very quick prayer, simple prayer. It's going to be just a moment long. And in that prayer, that you would say something like this. Say this with me. Come on, just say these words. Dear Lord Jesus, come on. You, you don't have to speak aloud. You can just say it with your lips if you'd like. I just want you to say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. Come on, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. And God, I ask you that you would come into my life. Come on, say it. And become the Lord and leader of my life. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm listening, my friend. If you just prayed that prayer, if you online, if you just prayed that prayer, then I believe you've given your life to Jesus. 
And right now, my friend, if that's true, if you've really done that, your sins are forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, I just read that a moment ago. Your sins are forgiven. So if that's your desire today to do that, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's give the Lord, let's give you these guys a round of applause for, for those who've done that. And I ask you to do two things. Number one, that you would, you would, you would uh, tell somebody today that you've given your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do that. And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is that you would be someone who would push that button that would say, I am one who gave my life to Jesus today at Word of Life Church. God bless you. Thank you for being with us today.